Welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, a show about weirdos, with your hosts, John Fahey, Aaron Peter, and Matt Brutzow. Hello folks, welcome to Profiles in Eccentricity, it's a doggone show about weirdos. My name is John Fahey, joining me is the eternally gorgeous... Mr. Aaron Pita. Aaron, how you doing? You know, it's it, it, it's hard to stay so gorgeous yeah. all of the time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but I am doing it. You are and, doing it. And I can it, attest to it. It is, mm-hmm. it yep. is good to be appreciated by non-eternal uh, life forms. Right, such right, as, right, right. Such right. as you, okay. John. Yeah, yeah, well, I kind of exist between dimensions or whatever. You That's sure? important. Okay. Matt Rousseau, you look absolutely beautiful. Better oh, than Aaron, you. even. Wow. Oh, uh, after he said all that nonsense. You fucking motherfuckers. Uh, Thanks, John. Great to be here. Yeah, you look beautiful, great. and Matt, you, you sound, sound incredible. Yeah. Thanks, great. Yeah. Um, really appreciate it. We, uh... We're doing great. We got Patreon people signing up every day. It's very, very exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, interaction. Uh, yeah. Great Engagement. In- we had great interaction on that last episode. We did. Some we people did. opening up. Oh, my God. Some really, like, yeah. heartfelt stuff about Christine Chubbuck and, and, and relating to, to some of the issues right, she dealing was going with depression and, and stuff. That was, very, that was very, very sweet. Some great love pouring in from the, uh, the luminiferous ether that we call the internet. So uh, pouring that love right back out to you guys. Yeah. We do love you guys also. Um, we have a couple of questions. I'm not going to do all of the questions. I'm going to save the Patreon members' questions for the Patreon episode Very that we're going to do after Very this. Very good. Can I amend my answer from last time? Oh, nope, I don't know. Which question? The, one of the questions Which was... Which hand? <laughs> no. I, well, you know, I've been thinking about it. <laughs> and I'm not circumcised. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, right. no, I want to amend my que- the, my answer to the question, who would you bring back and have like a dinner with or whatever? Right. Yeah, sure, that George Carlin is a great character. I would pick Terrence McKenna for um, sure, 100%, because okay. I, mean, I could talk to that guy or he talked to me right. for our days, years, months on end. And yeah. There'd be no subject that would be, um, you know, off limits or, or unex- unexpoundable. Right. For you or for him? Both. Oh, wow. That's important. Yeah. Yeah, that's a pretty fucking good one, Aaron. Yeah. That's so, a pretty good one. I was one. thinking about it the other day. I was like, how did I not say Terrence McKenna? So, Terrence yeah. McKenna. Okay, very, very good. Uh, we have uh, more. We have more. Uh, here's a good one. This is from our friend Evo in the Netherlands. He wants to know if you had the chance to piss in the cereal of any musician ever, wh- whose cereal would you piss in and why? Jesus, that's very, very good stuff mm-hmm. right there. Um, I think I can say off the bat, it would probably be. Um, all of the spin doctors. Oh, that's, <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. I really, 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 really hate that band. Um, Wait, why? It's just like the most obnoxious, hacky sacking, white guy dreads, mm. college rock. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel humiliated when it's on. I feel like <laughs> you feel. I, I feel humiliated. <laughs> I feel like I feel like they're putting me through. A lot of unnecessary shit. Like, it's just one of those things where, like, if you were, like, you know, just taking a shit and it was on, like, on the fucking Muzak or whatever, you would just look up and be like, are you, you fucking joking me right now? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, um, all those times you're shitting in an elevator. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, just like it was over, like, I, I'm like, I'm just like, it's so, it's so unnecessary. And, like I, like, I know the big songs, I really don't like those. 
Um, and then I, I caught like an old Letterman where they were playing some other song uh-huh. I never heard before. Equally egregious. Like, real shit. Really, really bad. Um, I also hate that guy from the Monster Mash. Oh, I yeah. hate him a lot. Um, uh-huh. But he's like, he's so bad, like maybe it's good. I don't know. Mm. You know? Right. Um, Schlock. Live, the band Live. Oof. Oh, hate him. <laughs> Lightning crashes? Like hate him. Hate him. Like that guy can get right out of here. Wait, uh-huh. uh, why? I I just find it really offensive. I think it was the pinnacle <laughs> of of awful '90s rock. Like it just went. Sure, sure. It, it was. It was that. It was that middle point between like Nirvana, Pearl Jam, and like Nickelback. Right, right, right. in dead center Everyone's of that. Trying to be the Smashing Pumpkin is is live, and you're just like, get out of here! I don't believe you at all. Like you're mm-hmm. not intense or interesting. Go fuck yourself. Very good, John. Very Sorry good. about that, well, but that's, that's uh, real. Yeah. Thank you, Evo, for the question. Anybody else got anything? I mean, off the top of my head, I would say Chuck Berry, just so like, just yeah. so he he gets a taste. He gets a taste. He gets yeah. a taste. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Though he would probably, he'd probably, probably like, like yeah. it. I would probably say someone like a Chris Brown. Yeah. yeah you know, not only uh, is your uh, music subpar, right? but you beat on women don't seem to be... Uh... Right, yeah. So that's, probably... that's one. Any of those women beaters, I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to, to piss in their muesli. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good stuff. Again, you know what? Kelly, I hope you know, it's grape okay nuts too, because that shit's foul. I'm gonna piss in your fucking grape nuts. Grape nuts. Yeah. yeah. Grape nuts, huh? What about raisin bran? I like raisin bran. I don't even like cereal. I'm not a cereal eater. I think right. it's for the. It's for you know. Raisin bran's got two scoops for livestock, but raisin bran's not bad. Dude. I love them bragging about the scoops and raisin bran. Well, that's scoops. Cool. That's what they sell it. Yeah, they're all obsessed with the scoops. A lot of a lot of uh, raisin cereal has got one scoop. You know, so it's it's always good to get that double one in there. Mm-hmm. Thanks, raisin bran. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so here's some old grapes. Uh, Stephen Parks, super oh, fancy oh, our Parks. friend. Uh-huh. Oh, thank you, thank you so much for sending in the clip of the young lady getting pissed on in a parking lot. Stephen. No, that was great. That was great. That was that's just, yes. That's, that's why I said podcast. thank you. Yes, that was very good. I'm stuff. wearing my cocaine bear shirt uh, right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. You thank are. you, you Stephen. Thank you. Um, Stephen wants to know: Would you rather get a million dollars but have to take a full fledged shit every three hours for the rest oh, of right, your life? Or get no money, but you only have to shit once a year. Well, Time versus money. Oh well, listen. I mean, I don't think anything. Nothing wrong with taking a shit. Not at all. And a million bucks. Right. That would go down pretty smooth. Like what? What the benefit of taking one shit a year? I mean, like I'm not. I'm never on the toilet going. Oh man, oh, man, I'm just wasting valuable time here. Right. 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 Yeah, sure, but it's six, a six hour flight. Okay, well, you got a million dollars. Invest it, invest it wisely, and, and, right. and you, you get your own. Right. You shit in first class, right. or have your own shit jet. Right, yeah, yeah. 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 Have like a nice uh, oh. shit jet, Lear jet, very, yeah. very fueled okay. up, full of CBJ. Fueling it up. Uh, yeah, just get one of those Lear jets that runs on your own shit. <laughs> yep. Biodiesel. Uh, yeah. You just shit out the ceviche right there in your uh, captain's chair. And believe me, you're gonna. Right. It's ceviche. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you know. Shitting only sucks for the toilet. <laughs> it's oh, like, it depends on the toilet. Wow. You know, like, wow, that is, that that is that cheap, shit. John. That yeah, is yeah. Shitting only sucks yes, for the yes, toilet. Yeah. T-shirt material. No, that's, well, that's, that's a meme. It's, it's having diarrhea sucks for the toilet. Oh. That's from Desher Zone. Oh. But they're absolutely right. 
They, they take not, it to the diarrhea level, though. Yeah, well, diarrhea, diarrhea changes the game. If that question's about diarrhea, all of a sudden that's a Sophie's choice. I like how he calls, a lot. I like how he calls it a fully fledged yeah. shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. it's no half baked uh, shit. Well, I hope it's a fully fledged shit rather than some some nugget nonsense. Yeah, 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 yeah I mean, it looks like grape nuts. Um, and this is this is something that might uh, like bring us our final question. Might take us to your segment, Aaron. This is from Mike Roussard. He wants to know. If you had the ability to talk to animals, which animal would you choose to get wasted with? Ooh, that's very interesting. Um, well, I guess an elephant. An elephant. Well, because uh, my brother, we were talking about elephants mm-hmm. and piss. My brother told me uh, he said uh, uh, that there are stories of elephants uh, drinking some booze, like left over from military base. Yeah, and then going back there and storming the base and taking the booze. Wow, that's cool stuff. Hey, elephants, they're fun, man. They probably have some cool-ass stories, too, because they yeah. forget. Oh, yeah, yeah. They mourn their yeah. dead. Yep. Yeah. I tell you about that craziest story with the fucking elephants that suddenly... <laughs> tell you about that craziest story with the fucking elephants? <laughs> no, dude. They, 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 no, you did not. The elephants are all chained up, and they're doing their thing, you know what I mean? What, like BDSM, or...? No, 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 you know, the the, the human imprisonment routine. Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that, yeah where that's they'd, sick. They'd yeah, stab yeah. them until they were uh, they, docile. Or they'd well, electrocute them is, to uh, prove the... Um, oh, that's, uh, that's one I'm saving for another... Oh, good, okay. I forget where this was, um, but it was somewhere in Asia. But basically, there was you know they're all tied down with chains and spikes in the ground and all that shit. And out of nowhere, all the elephants just like fucking go over their spikes, pull them out of the ground with like their trunks and mm-hmm. feet and shit, and uh, pull the, like free themselves. And all the humans are like, oh, okay. Yep. Yep. And they start grabbing humans Good. again with their trunks, throwing them on their backs, and then uh, heading for high ground. It was a flood came. Huh. Yeah. yeah. And they just knew it was coming. Yep. Just saved as many people as they could. Took off. Did they? The fucking jackasses that are throwing chains around their well, necks. You know what I mean? It's noble like noble creatures, dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, too noble, you yeah. know, in my opinion. Yeah. We should get rid of them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe we you can think they're almost extinct. Maybe we can do something with these tusks. <laughs> <laughs> No, well, but I mean, really, how how yeah. great is that? Yeah, that is very good. That yeah. is a very good story. You know that baby elephants suck their tusks like human babies suck their, mm-hmm. tum- their thumbs? Yeah, yeah. Fascinating. They're, they're adorable. They yeah, are. They are very, very They fall great. down. They get embarrassed. They're so cute. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. What is the animal? I mean, like, I, I just like, I mean, I like dogs. I, I would love to get wasted, like, with a golden retriever. Uh-huh. You know? Um, a penguin, maybe? A penguin. Penguin would be fun. Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, you know, so they got business. So sure. the question is: the question is, if you could speak to animals, yes. which one would you choose to get wasted with? Right. An elephant's tough because an elephant could probably drink a lot. Yeah. Before it gets yeah, it's wasted. like under the giant. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah, but I don't want to get wasted with like one of those animals that like you know never shuts up. No, but they'll just like talk about bummer shit, like eating their young or something. <laughs> Hamsters. Know? I don't want to have a like a yeah, bad right. time. Like a, a grizzly bear's like, ah, oh, one time this male grizzly bear came, I'd eat my own young. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't want any of that shit. I want to have. And like... then I went to sleep for six months. <laughs> yeah, I want to have like good ass times. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Uh, you know, I bet um, a bit like a puma. Puma. A puma. 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 One of those cool cats. Yeah. I bet, like, a cool cat probably has some cool stories. Yeah. Like, I was stalking this fucking thing for days, and I Mm. went up a cliff, and I jumped on it, ripped its throat out with my face. Yeah. Then I laid down for a very long time because I'm a cat. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. But I am also vicious, you know? Right. I kind of like that. It's cool. I haven't really... That's a a very, very good question. Aaron, I would have to say for you, it must be a bear. Mm. You've been talking about bear shit, like, crazy. I mean, but they're not very interesting, 
Are they not? I don't think they're going to have a lot to contribute. Like, well, you know the, what I would like to see? Maybe some sort of deep sea uh, creature. Uh, Perhaps some sort of a, a like dolphin a or squid. a whale, a squid. Mm, yeah. mm, something mm. that's going to, to places that I'm not. I'm never going to see. Sure. Tell so, what you what's down there? Right. Talk talk about it, bro. Yeah. We'll, we'll open one on, tie one on, and you tell me what kind of cool shit's going down down there. That's a good call. A bear, a bear is just a very very large dog like animal. Right. Okay. But you know, I'll chop one up with a bear. Yeah. <laughs> Sure, they're known sure. for it. Yeah. Sure. They're, they're in the animal kingdom, they are the second yeah. most cocaine using. <laughs> yeah. From what I hear. And it would probably make them interesting. Yeah. They had enough chance. At least they'd think so. <laughs> they had a belly splitting. Dude, I'm so fucking interesting for a bear, bro. You don't even know. <laughs> yeah, you get that bear that ate Timothy Treadwell. That's a good story. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Some... So, yeah, I would say probably like a, maybe a, uh, a, a big whale. Yeah. Uh, or a, a porpoise or a dolphin or, or even a giant squid. All right. Right. One of those. Okay. Very good. Very, very good question. Yeah. The the rest that we're going to do on the Patreon later are like all that level. Oh. They're oh. like all insane well, like see that. see what you get. Patreon, non-Patreon listeners, you get some the enticing. I always thought the fans were going to ask about like old shows or like uh-huh. facts about people who profiled. And they're, no, like, they're like, not. Hey, like, would, you... would you? What cereal would you piss in? <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to find out what uh, <laughs> what people can see with it. Funny, I don't taste it. like apple. <laughs> so, Aaron, you got you got a little niblet. Well, yeah, you remember how? Um, remember, like, kind of last episode, we were kind of talking about how a lot of uh, sex in the animal kingdom is probably just rape. Right. Right. Sure. Well, um, <laughs> probably. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, some of it. Some of it is mating for life. You know, some some birds, of it is they dance and they, you know. Yes. You know. There's a whole. There's these amazing rituals in mm-hmm. in in uh, in the animal kingdom. Right. Right. And um, I found this one about uh, giraffes. Oh, very. Yes, nice. giraffes are very very interesting. Giraffes don't have um a set mating season. Like a lot of animals have their own. They, no, that's you know, right. Uh, they're kind of like the the females go into estrus, which is similar to uh, human female menstruation. You know, it, we don't we humans we don't know when a female is ovulating visually or anything like that, but we make up for that by having a lot of sex. Mm. So you know, we're 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 casting a lot of seed to hopefully spawn. But, but if you see a lot of bears in the region, usually that's a. Oh, because of the yeah. m- m- the women love cocaine too, <laughs> right? Uh, so, but with giraffes, well, you know, apparently it's very hard to do. So they don't. They, they it's hard. Yeah, awkward. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's awkward. Yeah. And it's hard. It's a lot. It expends a lot of energy. It's risky. Sure, they're it's, very front loaded. Uh, yes, a high level of mm. difficulty. So they don't. They can't do. They can't do it how we do it. We can't just they can't just fuck all the time. Right. They got to pick and choose their battles. So uh so what the male giraffe does is uh taste the female giraffe's piss. Oh, yeah. no kidding. Yeah, he uh he saunters up to her. Yeah. Uh and he does something that's called the fleshman sequence. Jesus Christ. And he headbutts her right in the ass huh. a, number, a number of times repeatedly. Until she pisses. Oh. Until she pisses everywhere. And then he gets a good whiff and sampling of that piss. And he oh. goes, you know what? His this eyes was... go wide. Uh-huh. Mm, oh, boy. His neck stiffens up. And, he's <laughs> and um, he leans down and gives it a good taste. And then, you know, uh, if she's in heat, if she's in estrus, he, he starts to uh, pursue her. Mm. Maybe for minutes or maybe days on end. Wow, really? And uh, then 
you know, uh, he'll just keep trying to mount her until she relents. Ah, uh, uh, the whole time point. he's hard as a rock. Really? Yeah, it's fearful. Nice. So they've got he's large tickling the brush. Mm-hmm. Huh. <laughs> yeah, pointing true north. Sometimes he'll like lick her hind legs just to maybe warm her up a little bit. Oh, that's good. Foreplay yep. is great. It's important. Yep. And um, eventually she relents and he mounts her uh, from behind. Mm-hmm. Naturally. And um, usually. It's got to uh, look fucking insane. Yeah, he mm. nuts so fast. <laughs> he nuts so fast. And sometimes multiple times. And then she just no. kind of walks away. And and what they think, what, uh, what biologists think is that this, this ritual, like many rituals, is basically a, uh, uh, hey, guy, are you worth, are you worth my yeah. eggs? Right. Are you strong enough to be my giraffe. Is your neck basic? It is also. It's a like. Is your neck strong enough to headbutt me so I piss enough? And can you pursue me long enough that you could then, uh, you know, knock me up wow. with your superior alpha bull giraffe seed? Wow, it's it's nearly romantic. It's almost as romantic as human sex. <laughs> <laughs> the fleshman sequence is what it's called. Yeah. Uh, also, uh. A lot of giraffe sex is gay sex. Oh, that's really? Nice. Yeah, yeah. Good I guess. Uh, I, I don't know. One paper from 1985 really just knocks so, the shit out of each. Well, I guess it's probably. I mean, you don't have to like trick them into peeing on you or anything. It's probably like, hey, man, you want to fuck? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I lost this girl miles ago, dude. <laughs> you know what they say about giraffes with long necks? <laughs> uh, they yeah. can see far. Four hundred yards. Oh, quick! No one's around. (laughs) Fuck me in the ass. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, that's pretty much all I got on giraffe sex. But I knew that you know, since there was uh, involved drinking of piss and uh, and elaborate mating rituals, you guys might like that. So um, the Fleshman sequence, right? (laughs) Right. That concludes Aaron's Animal Corner. (laughs) Yep. Always, always. I love Aaron's animal. It corner. is good. I always, I really look forward to it mm-hmm. every time. This is chop, really good stuff. Yes. Hey, chop it up, piss it up. You know? Yeah, piss it up. And, you know, maybe, maybe one of us gets lucky. We'll have our own little fleshman sequence later tonight. Yeah, wow. how how funny a sequence? There's no flesh, no men. Like I don't know. If it's, it's, like, it's a, I'm guessing it's the scientist's name. Yeah. Oh. Maybe <laughs> he's the first guy that did it. He's yeah. the first guy. that's like, well, the giraffe are into it. Let me check this out. <laughs> Watch this, long neck. <laughs> <laughs> the Fleshman sequence is. Uh, yes. uh, see that that uh, that urine and mating. That's how we trick deer to walk into our scopes in uh, quote unquote hunting these days. Right. Yeah. So there's many uses for. Yeah. I use coyote urine to keep the mo- uh, animals away from my garden. Is that is that, is that wait, a fact? Really? Yes, you can buy that at various uh, garden supplies. I didn't know you had a garden. Really? Oh, I'm, I'm a oh, Aaron, he's I'm a gardening peppers in the garden. Yeah, yeah. Pe- peppers various. Yeah. 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 <laughs> peppers various. How much do they pay the coyote for the Pi- piss? Piperum variosum. <laughs> I don't know. You let me suck it right out of him. <laughs> I just kept headbutting him until they relented. All right. It was I... just some guy with a leather jacket that said coyote on it. They call me a real coyote. <laughs> My bladder is full. <laughs> now, Matt, you have um, you have something completely not related to that whatsoever. No, pretty much not. But. Um... Uh-huh. Uh, just briefly to intro this, I want to just briefly mention Paul Mooney. You know Paul Mooney. Oh yeah, comedian, uh, legend. Comedian, yeah. You know he's a. You know Richard Pryor has that great. Uh, you know when we go to when we go to prison, you know we, we they want justice, and that's what you find, just us. Uh-huh. Paul Mooney wrote that line. That's the right. Paul Mooney line. He you know wrote with Pryor all the time. And I was thinking about this story I'm going to do. 
And uh, I was reminded of one of my favorite Paul Mooney lines um, from The Chappelle Show. Oh. And this is where he's reviewing movies. Right. Uh, and this is from the last Samurai movie review. Another movie that I was offended by. The, I mean, Hollywood is crazy. The Last Samurai starring Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. He's the last samurai. Mm -hmm. Give me a break. That movie was offensive. I mean, Hollywood is crazy. First they had the Mexican with Brad Pitt, and now they've got The Last Samurai with Tom Cruise. Well, I've written the film. Maybe they'll, maybe they'll produce my film. The last nigga on earth, oh. starring Tom Hanks. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, ask a black guy sequence. Uh, no, it's a uh, uh, Negro Damas. No, it's a Paul. It's Paul at the movies or something. Like Paul that. at the mm. movies. God, so many great Paul Mooney segments on the Chappelle Show. Mm -hmm. That's brilliant. Uh, well, this one it was actually a. Uh, uh, a Patreon subscriber, Nolan Martin, he asked me about uh, doing this profile. Yes, yes. Thank you, Nolan. And uh, this is a story I uh, briefly read in some shit a few years ago, and I found it interesting. I just kind of disappeared and never followed up on it. But this one is is about what, in theory, the person who is the last samurai of Japan. Oh, really? Oh. And he was many things. He was born in 1925. His name at his birth was Kimitake Hiroka. He was the son of a civil servant, and when he was very young, he was kidnapped by his grandmother from his, his mom and dad, and uh, she was a direct descendant of the last military dynasty in D Japan. She was a direct descendant of the, the shogun mm -hmm. who ruled Japan until the traditional emperor system right. came uh, in, in the late 1800s. When he was with his grandmother, she would just basically lock him in her, her house all day, and he had nothing to do. He just read books. He loved, he loved Western books, Oscar Wilde, Hans Christian Andersen. No shit. And then uh, she would take him out to Kabuki Theater. You know, that was his, like, uh, but she wouldn't let him go outside. She, she wouldn't let him go into the sun. That was a big thing for her. She thought the sun was, was bad for him. She Which wouldn't is let tough because Japan's the land of the rising. rising. Right. Yeah. It's everywhere. But at night, there's uh, no sun. Mm. Mm. Danielson. <laughs> right. He wasn't allowed to to play sports or play with other boys, so he spent his time alone reading or or with with uh, his female cousins and playing dolls and huh. and he did this until he was about twelve, and then he went back to his family. and His father was a, a military, uh, not a military man, but a, believed in a strong sense of discipline, and he would do things like take Kimitake and, and hold him up to passing trains, like next to the train, what? to toughen him up. Jesus! Yikes! He would raid his he was raid his son's room, and anytime he found anything effeminate, whether it was his literature or drawings or anything that he didn't he didn't think was manly, right. he would tear him up and destroy him. Jesus! <laughs> and but despite of this, uh, uh, Kimitake keeps he, he he goes to school. He's an excellent student, and he he you know as he was growing up and became obsessed with theater and and literature he started writing himself and when he was in 19 he wrote a story uh, his first story in in general that that got any got any trash it's called the forest in full bloom and it's about a the narrator who his ancestors he feels his ancestors living within him and you know you harken back to that shogun history and yeah 
And was he kind of uh, was was he treated so protectively because he was felt to be sort of royalty? Like was that sort of the thing? Like why he wasn't allowed to go outside and stuff? I, I'm I'm not entirely sure. Or if that mm-hmm. was just maybe her being crazy. It sounded like she was just kind of crazy. Okay. Paternal grandmother or maternal grandmother? I believe it was paternal grandmother. Right. So crazy right. ran in the family on that side. Yeah. Right, yeah. Right. Hey, I'm gonna take away your baby. Wait, give him back. I want to put him in front of a train. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, his mom seemed to be very supportive. If he wrote something, he would tend to to show it to her. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, and she uh, she would she she was very positive about mm-hmm. that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But he wrote this teacher. Uh, this, he wrote this story for us in full bloom, and his teachers were they they enjoyed it so much that uh, they sent it off to a literary magazine where it got published. Uh, but they didn't want his his classmates to know about it. He was often bullied, and so in order for his classmates not to hear that he was an author, they changed his name. They gave him the pen name Yukio Mishima, mm. and this was the name he would use for the rest of his life. Uh, when he graduates, he graduates at the top of his class, and for that he gets to meet the emperor. He got a gold watch from the emperor. Hey, nice. Casio. And but this is right near the end of the war, and uh, what World War Two. Oh, wow. Okay. He's born in 1925. So, so he graduates meet- about 1945. So he's meeting Hirohito. Yes. Okay. It's the big one, baby. Yeah, last one. But it, when so when the war happens, often they would have to stop studies, and they would all the students would go and work in a factory. And one of the factories he worked in was a factory that built planes specifically for kamikaze pilots. Interesting. And every morning they would go into the factory, and they would say what he what he called a mystic oath. And then... They would build these planes that they all knew. They all knew what, what was right. going on. I with hope these planes. this plane crashes so good. Yeah, that kind of oath. Yeah, in essence. But you know, if if you're a kamikaze, you're giving your life up for the emperor, yeah. who is a deity. Yeah, yeah. a living god. Yeah. So therefore, you will uh, you'll go to heaven. Mm-hmm. You're you know. The meth also helped. <laughs> it never yeah. hurts. Yeah. Well, eventually it does. But if kamikaze <laughs> helps, <laughs> yeah, right. But it's quick. So as the war is ending and he's getting up to the age where he could be drafted, the the dream for so many young young men was that they would die in battle and it'd be a glorious death. And he went to the recruitment office, and the story was that he had a cold, and the doctor thought it might be tuberculosis, and so they they wouldn't let him join the army. Hmm. And so he felt a, a lot of shame about this. Yeah, and. But he, you know, he, after this, he he went and he worked for the government briefly for a year to make his father happy, and he was just completely worn out from it. And his dad was like, "Okay, well, maybe try. You can try writing, I, I suppose." And so, 1946, he, he's becoming a very talented writer, and he has many good manuscripts. And he's not big in any way, but he's good enough. He goes and he visits this this author who uh, Yusunari Kawabata, who would win 1968. He was the first Japanese author to win the Nobel Prize for Literature. Mm-hmm. But this is 46, and he goes and visits him, and he shows him his manuscripts, and this guy goes, well, these are great, and he encourages him. And uh, shortly after this, he publishes his first novel called Thieves. And it's it's not big, but it, it comes out, and everybody goes, oh, this is a good young writer. Mm-hmm. And he keeps writing, and in 1949, he, he publishes the book that would break him in in around japan as as the the author the upcoming author and he's 24 and it he it's called confessions of a mask mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's the story of a young boy who is basically locked in his grandmother's house huh hmm. and doesn't have anything to do but read books and there's this this central 
theme to it of, of a boy who believes he's homosexual but doesn't know how to what that is or how to deal with it. Wow. But he has this story when he's four, he sees a picture of this knight and he, he he's incredibly attracted to this knight. Mm. And it's one of the, it's this beautiful thing. And he's not old enough to, to know what all this sexual awakening means, but he know he loves it and then his grandmother points out that's actually Joan of Arc and he gets disgusted and he says, No it's supposed oh. to be a a strong man. Wow. And also, at age six, the, this character, quote-unquote, discovers that uh, he starts masturbating to this painting of San Sebastian. Saint Sebastian. Oh, San Sebastian. And it's this very—Saint Sebastian, in over the years, has become kind of a homosexual um, icon of sorts. Really? Because he's always painted in this martyr pose with his arms up with arrows in him, and he's always cut and hot. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Like this one. Yes, his arms up, just right. like that. Yeah. <laughs> just like, just like, yeah, just yeah. like you, Aaron, homosexual icon. <laughs> I'll take it. Well, I mean, yeah, Jesus is always looking pretty shredded. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pretty shredded, and you yeah, know. I mean, art was a uh, you know, traditional art were like like that uh, was an excuse for exploration and of of anatomy. Right. That's what I mean. Even did that with um, with comic books. Yeah. Comic comic book characters always have skin tight suits on because it's an exercise in drawing the human form. Right. Yeah. And, and through his writing, it's, you know, in this time especially, he's obsessed with with uh, mysterious and dangerous notions of beauty, beauty that, uh, and especially male beauty. Mm-hmm. That that for throughout his life, he would talk about how men's bodies are bodies of action. Right. And so these strong men. Yeah. Uh, a body like theirs is made to to do, mm-hmm. it's right. made to, to do all kinds of things and, uh-huh. and force. Yeah, and but <laughs> he, unlike these layabout ladies, <laughs> yeah, they're all plump and Rubenesque. <laughs> but it, but his style was also in this this old uh, Japanese. I don't know if he was considered right wing at the time, but uh, this kind of idea of of, of a tempered Japanese of of seeing beauty and remarking on it, but always being kind of a, a step a step away from it mm-hmm. like respectful in a way but mm-hmm. just kind of reserved and and not so, not much emotional about it but, right but just recognizing yeah. that it is there and being able to describe it and the emotions behind it but without uh without losing your shit yes mm-hmm. yeah and i can't do it it's no, no. <laughs> this guy and sometimes it can be a cultural thing right and uh in 1953, he starts writing more theater, and he starts writing his own kabuki theater. Mm-hmm. And around this time, he, he he's exploring himself more. And in kabuki theater, there's these uh, men who dress as women and play women. Uh, they're called onagata. Mm-hmm. And during this time, he starts sleeping with these men and having various affairs with actors who are in his plays, and they're having a great time. And it's, it's not a negative thing in any sense. And... It, he he he's writing these things and he's sleeping with these people and one of them they go to a club one night and uh the this this onagata she 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 makes a joke about him and she says because he's a small man he's very skinny at the time and she says where are you and he said he responds in a way that says don't ever disrespect me like that again mm, trouble and here we go he storms out and it's in this moment, this is 1955 now, he, he's, he's, he started acting in some films, he starts singing a little bit, he becomes a, a minor actor in some films, playing gangsters and samurai assassins, and, mm. 
Uh, and he starts working out three days a week. And he wanted to make himself beautiful in a way... Because make something beautiful and then this, just to destroy it is is a service of art on another realm to him. Mm-hmm. And he, he would say, if my body, if, if myself was a dwelling, then my body was an orchard around it. And when at last I came to know such a body, I wanted to basically show it off to the world. Mm. And he described himself also as a fashionable, a fa- like a fashionable sports car for its owner. But the body is doomed to decay. I, for one, will not, will not accept such a doom. Hmm. And he was always kind of fascinated with the idea of of youth and how awful it is to age. Something he never understood is how how much Hemingway praised aging mm. and growing older and gaining knowledge from that. He never quite understood that. And when he met American authors, he'd always say, "Can you can you explain this to me? How does this? I don't quite understand." Mm-hmm. And especially, why would Hemingway kill himself? Mm-hmm. It was it was kind of a detachment. From that, but here he is, and so he's he's doing all these many different things, and he still has an obsession to the West. And in 1956, he writes what some consider to be his best novel. It's called *Temple of the Golden Pavilion*, hmm. and it's based off a real thing that happened after shortly after World War II. There's this this temple in Japan, one of the oldest temples in all of Japan, and has, has gold leaf on its roof, and a young monk burned it down basically the first time it ever had any almost any damage committed to it in its three four hundred year history right even through the war even through the war it was a mystical and just this one guy just sets it off it's like fuck it kind of okay but in this is where uh Mishima starts to really explore the idea of a of a beauty you become so obsessed with that you destroy Mm. and uh, there's a little uh uh, I'm gonna read a little piece of it he says uh He's trying to describe one of the characters trying to describe beauty, and he said, uh, "Because because although beauty may give itself to everyone, it does not exactly belong to anybody." And he says, "Let me see. How should I put it? Beauty, yes, beauty is like a decayed tooth. It rubs it rubs against one's tongue. It hangs there, hurting one, insisting on its own existence. Finally, it gets so that one cannot stand the pain and goes to the dentist to have the tooth extracted. Then, as one looks at the small, dirty, brown, blood-stained tooth lying in one's hand, one's thoughts are likely to be as follows: Is this it? Is this all it was?" That thing which caused me so much pain, which made me constantly fret about its existence, which made, which was stubbornly rooted within me, is now merely a dead object? But is this thing really the same as that thing? If this originally belonged to my other outer existence, why, through what sort of providence, did it become attached to my inner existence and succeed in causing me so much pain? What is the basis of this creature's existence? What is the basis within me? Or was it within the creature itself? Yet this creature which has been pulled out of my mouth and which now lies in my hand is something utterly different. Surely it cannot be they, and so he's saying, "How how can all how can something so simple and easy to toss away affect you affect you so much?" Right, right, right. Jesus. Well, it's like it's like it's like like a corpse. Like, yes, this is all that was. Yes, oh, yes. all the all this yeah, all, all this shit. all this commotion over this lifeless hunk yeah. of whatever. This thing that we're gonna get rid of in two minutes. Right, and it's also kind of like. Um, to a, to I guess to a lesser degree, but kind of in the same realms. Like when you when you have this idea of like a crush, mm-hmm. and you you obsess over this this schoolgirl or schoolboy crush, right? And they become this idea in your head yes. mm-hmm. that they could never ever live up to, good right. or bad. And then you finally realize, like, oh, let's say, you, like, oh, you 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 take shits too, right? Uh huh. 
Yeah. I was obsessing about you, and, and you were just a gross person like me. Right. Great. And the emperor. Yes. <laughs> My god takes shits. <laughs> neat little brown boxes. But yeah. Yeah. yeah it's interesting. It's, uh, he's really obsessed with that shit, huh? Yeah, so it was something that seemed to drive him in many different directions. But also, he had this. He he wanted to. He was so. He must have been so conflicted, right? Because he also wanted to work out and get craft the the body around mm-hmm. himself to look and to be beautiful. But he must. He also had this kind of like self loathing about it. Oh, absolutely. And that picture of Saint Sebastian. I, I think it's his biographer who talks about it. He says so. He's talking about this kid masturbating to Saint Sebastian in the in the painting. Uh, was it uh, um, Gino uh, Bruni or something like that? He, Giordano uh, Bruni. It's a uh, uh, Guido Reni. I was Shit. way off. It's so, Guido Reni's painting with you know Sebastian arms up. He's stuck with all these arrows, mm-hmm. and this kid's masturbating to it. And and his 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 biographer is saying. Does he associate himself with Saint Sebastian? Or does he associate himself with the people shooting? Exactly, Saint exactly. Sebastian. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And or but both. Or, or, both. or is it is it is it the man in agony that is is the attraction? Is it the guy with the toothache that you want to fuck? Right. You know. Right. Or is it the toothache that makes the man? Yeah. And so after the Temple of the Golden Pavilion, he becomes Japan's um, best-selling author, and he starts traveling the world. And as he does, he, he, he falls in love with the masculine beauty of, of places like Greek and Rome mm. and seeing all these statues mm-hmm. and seeing these beautiful deaths. And so he's firmly rooted in these ideas of uh, older Japan, and yet he still has all these fascinations. You know, he, he, his biggest influence in many ways were French and German writers. He lived in a Western-style house. He drank sherry. He smoked cigars. <laughs> And Mm. yet he was very vehemently against Japanese being inundated with Western lifestyle. Right. Of course. And so in 1958, he's 32 years old, and he's considering marriage. And so one of the people he considers marriage with is with someone named uh, uh, Michiko Ashoda, and she's now Empress Michiko. She uh, moved on to then marry the guy who would become emperor. Uh Wow. But uh, he does marry this one woman. Uh, Her name is Yoko. Oh, but he has two conditions for the marriage. It's an arranged marriage, and he has two conditions. One, she must have no interest in his work. Weird. And two, she must be shorter than him. Ugh. <laughs> and he's 5'1". Oh, God. God. Come on. <sighs> That's his kid. <laughs> All right, real quick. Has he met her already? When he puts these conditions? Like, hey, listen. Well, before he, before anybody. Five, before anybody. Okay, it's before his conditions previous mm-hmm. to ever even meeting or considering Yoko. It's not like he met her and he's like, "Well, if you want to get married, you're gonna have to lose a couple inches." <laughs> yes, <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Listen, you're gonna have to lose that neck before I fucking drink your piss, you crazy giraffe. <laughs> <laughs> I love you. I hate you. <laughs> yeah, Don't go ask fuck me these. about my work. <laughs> I'm gonna go fuck these guys for a minute. <laughs> Man, my teeth hurt. What, what? I mean, what a fucking. I mean, like, what if you got interested during the marriage? What if you were like, I can't talk about it, but you know what's fascinating? <laughs> my husband's work. <laughs> <laughs> he does what? <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> shut the fuck up! Shut the fuck up! I just hey, thought he liked bodybuilding. <laughs> here's a little secret I haven't told anybody. I'm five two and a half. <laughs> 
Shh. He'll kill me if he finds out. It's very cruisy. <laughs> oh, God. Ah, so maybe Tom Cruise really was the last Mm-hmm. Mm, maybe. Where's lifts? <laughs> <laughs> and so as he keeps building his body, he keeps uh, exploring that strength in different ways. He starts training to be a samurai. He starts, there's this, I, f- I forget what the term is, but there's this festival of sorts where they carry shrines and it's these shrines are incredibly heavy, and it takes it takes you know twenty five fifty men to carry them. And from this, he this he understands the power and how meaningful it is to work in a group. Ah, interesting. And and you know, work your body is great for your mind, and to work with a group is even better. This is a whole different feeling than working on alone or even sitting and writing all day alone. Mm-hmm. And. In 1960, there's this thing that happens in Japan called the Anpo Treaty. And th- I need to give a little backstory for this because it's a treaty. It's a, it's basically a reuni- uh, uh, I want to say reboot, but it's it's uh, you, you, the USA and Japan are re-signing their treaty, kind of making new terms after World War II and re-signing it. Now, after World War II, something very interesting happened with the U.S. and Japan treaty. And originally, the U.S. signed an incredibly progressive treaty with Japan. Mm-hmm. And it, it offered things. So the goals were, were for, for the USA were demilitarizing and democratizing Japan. But it also did things like it, uh, it, it wanted to remake government industry civil institutions. They wanted to, to remake those with, without the military aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. It encouraged unions. It encouraged the workforce to unionize and have pride in their work, uh, and it abolished the secret police. They, they they protected workers' rights with a new trade union law. Mm-hmm. They removed two hundred thousand people from public office who they deemed wartime leaders or ultra nationalists. Mm-hmm. And then, basically, as almost immediately after it was signed, Douglas MacArthur comes in and he goes, "Oh no, the Chinese." And they slowly dismantle all of these pieces one yeah. by one. To they went from a purge to then a de-purge, mm-hmm. where all of these wartime people were put back in because the United States was worried that Japan was going to be their only front against communism. Mm-hmm. So they needed to have military there, and Japan needed to have military. And then the United States would do things like if the workers, if workers in factories started protesting and having strikes, the U.S. military would help the Japanese break up these strikes. Right, and so Japan. Having been ravaged from World War II in ways that are completely un- like unknown to us in so many ways. Oh, oh yeah, never before seen and not seen since. Yeah, yeah. You, you think about this. Tokyo is, was basically the size of New York. Forty percent. Imagine if forty percent of New York was gone. Yeah, just from bombing. Yeah, yeah. There are, there's a there's a wonderful map where it shows all of the all these Japanese cities and it relates them to American cities of the same size. Places like Cleveland, sixty percent gone. Jesus just Christ. in. Yeah. destruction and and Japan had this understanding like let us never do this again yeah mm-hmm. we've seen what war does to us yeah and now let's do everything we can to not ever be in a position where we have to go to war did, yeah did he did um Mishima Mishima did he get some of his kind of like beautiful destruction, creative destruction ethos from what happened to Japan. Well, certainly the whole, the glam, the glorious death. 
Right. That is beautiful destruction. Young men in their prime right. just being torn apart. But also the you know this ama- these amazing cities being torn, blown to smithereens, sure, yeah. and then being built back up better than they ever. But but also traditional Japanese cities being destroyed, Mm -hmm. and then the very people who destroyed them coming in, building it with their culture and their supplies. Yeah, and and there is so many uh, bad, horrible uh, examples of uh, you know American uh, post-war colonialism and and rebuilding places in our own image. Mm -hmm. But at that time, it was probably the best time for it to happen. If 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 you were on the receiving end, because. That was around that time, you know, like like Roosevelt was trying to come up with like the Second Bill of Rights, which mm-hmm. it, it it meant you you had the right to a job, mm-hmm. you had the right to health care, mm-hmm. you had the right to all these things that he never got to see through. But a lot of the post war things in post war Germany and post war Japan, in Europe and, and Asia, yeah, we didn't get it. Yeah, and it, a lot of them got it over there. A lot of things stayed in the ideas of like kind of the new constitutions of right. of uh, the new countries after mm-hmm. that. So uh, while we dismantled a lot. Uh, better things there like that was a lot of the the rebuilding teams had that shit left over in their heads you know which were a lot of a lot of very good policies the likes of which we haven't seen in our own country Mm -hmm. but americans were pushing abroad in the 40s yeah Amazing. It's kind of like how your parents make all the mistakes on the first kid. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. And then, like, the second kid's like, oh, yeah, we, we did this one right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you're fucked up. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was the keys to the house. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't talk to your brother. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and another thing the U.S. did, it, when MacArthur came in, they brought this this banker from Detroit, this, quote-unquote, one of the greatest bankers in America at the time, this guy named Dodge from Detroit. And, and, and he was like, we need Dodge, to— Dodge Caravan? It might as well, but I don't. I think there, I don't think there's any relation. But uh, he he also did this classic American thing. He's like, oh, we don't want uh, too much inflation, so I'm going to do institute a thing he called the Dodge Line, which was basically just pure austerity. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it did not help the country grow. No, it never does. No, but so so these things are happening in 1960. The Anpo Treaty is is resigned. Can you explain austerity to you for anybody that doesn't know? Real, so quick? it's basically like in order for us to get the economy working again, we need to starve everything we can out of the economy. Basically, like squeeze every penny, squeeze every penny yeah. to the point where you're dismantling government programs because they cost too much without actually understanding that the government is making more money. Every dollar the government spends, they you know they get seven dollars back or some right. shit. Right? Yeah, and, and it takes money to make money. So austerity never fucking works. And then you do things like, oh, we don't have enough services to cover this. We'll privatize it. Exactly. So then the people who need it the most are paying more for it. Yeah. And all austerity does is kind of just cut off the people who need help the most so the people at the top can get whatever positives that comes out. You know, it's basically like a big tax break for it. Yeah. Like a $2 trillion tax break. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Got it. Yeah. But another thing that happens after one of the... After the the treaty is that the U.S. forces the Japanese emperor to tell his people that he is not a deity. That is, that was uh, when I watched. I think it was Ken Burns, mm-hmm. the war, and they talked about that. That's the most one of the most mind blowing things to think about. Is okay. You have this uh, the power that you were supposed to just obliterate. You know. They come and they rain two, I don't know, uh, demons out of the sky as if from hell blowing up two giant cities. And then you force your god mm-hmm. to admit, eh, I'm just a, I'm just a guy. I'm going to sign this treaty saying unconditional surrender. Yeah. Like it's just what a 
shift. Yeah. 180. Yeah, and it's it, it, there's like, you know, I mean, I've talked about it like on the show before, but there's all these repercussions of uh, in the Civil War with the Confederates and in the Second World War with the Germans and, and the First World War with the Germans and the politics of of post-victory humiliation yeah. and where it can lead after that. Weird porn. <laughs> it, it turns out. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what out. I mean? Like, luckily in Japan, like, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad because, I mean, it's amazing, first of all, that America did not force the emperor to step down. That is, that is incredible. Yeah. But there was a uh, there was a big discussion in the treaty. There, it was uh, um, I forget what the the phrase is, but some sort of ultimate surrender, which is like the, the Americans were like, "You have to surrender everything." And yeah. Japan was like, "We will not surrender on this one condition: you cannot make him. That's the only yeah. thing you yeah. can't do is you cannot make him step down." Right? Because what right. are you going to replace it with? Oh, I'm yeah, a, but I'm I mean, an American guy. Yeah, but I mean, like exactly, it's just like, exactly, and that, and that just then you have then you have what happened with Germany. Germany, you have a backlash that becomes World War. II. Sure, but you still have a massive war of international aggression. On like, but imagine Hitler didn't have to step down. Right, it'd be fucking. We'd all be like, "What are you fucking shitting me?" Right. Guy's a lunatic. Right, but you know, it, it like on that level, it's still kind of mind blowing. Yes, but also. There's no, there's no doubt that the Japanese, if we weren't gonna toe the line on that one rule, had a lot of fight left in them, and it could have been a fucking nightmare. Sure, you know. Yeah. So, but it is, it's crazy. Well, one of the results of this is, is by making him say he's not a deity. What that does is that means everybody who was a kamikaze is now know. their deaths are all in vain. Some jackass. Yeah, yeah. you went from being a fucking for martyr doing to being it for God. Some dick some messed up loser. Messed up rotten tooth in the palm of some guy's hand. <laughs> Is there meth in this tooth? Let's smoke it. <laughs> Dude, I heard meth makes you lose your teeth. Whoa. And so leading up to... Smoke the scabs on his face, too. <laughs> oh, John. Come what on. happened? Come on. We're a wholesome show about drinking piss. Okay? That's eating scabs. Picking boogers and shit. Uh, and... and Sorry. No, it's it's fine. Uh, and so, you know, what, one of the effects of, of the emperor having to come out and say that, uh, Mishima, he, he would later uh, make a movie called Voice of, Voices of the Heroic Dead, where basically, in, in speaking for all the kamikazes, he just made a movie where you, it, it ends with a kamikaze getting in a plane and riding off, and he him basically saying, repeating over and over, saying, well, it, in essence... Uh, what was what is this for now? Oh my god. What is this for Jesus now? Christ. What is Jesus. this for now? Was yeah. that super inflammatory? I mean it 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 flips culture on its head. Sure, but I'm saying was the reaction to that I mean No, his reaction to that years, his later. reaction to that was was incredibly normal. Hmm. It, it, I mean no, the public reaction to that movie. What was oh, public reaction? It, it was fine. It was not a huge thing. Mm. By the time that movie came it out... It was 20 he, years after the war. By over. the time that movie came out, he was already starting to fall into kind of a, a right-wing f- uh, uh, fanboy mm. type of, of of lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. And so back to 1960s, this Anpo Treaty... Here's Japan, again giving in to America, even after America had been testing all of these nukes in, in the Pacific yeah. for years. You know, 1954, there was a, a Japanese fishing vessel that went out, w- and one of the guys on the vessel died from radiation fallout. 
Jesus. Just because they were too close to a test. Yeah. And then th- their food was sold to people all over Japan, and no one knew about it. Right. And then in that same time span, the U.S. tested five more nukes. And so the Japan's like, they're, war is still hurting us, even though we're not at war anymore. Right. Yeah. And so this treaty is signed, and basically the the students and, and kind of the left the the left of the uh, of Japan they riot over it and they go they do things like they storm governors mansions and like hmm. and they you know hold them hostage but in a very like not threatening their lives but right. like you know here, here, I'm here to make a point right and uh, for Mishimi um in response to this Anpo treaty he made he he wrote a book uh, a short story called patriotism he would eventually make a movie out of it and it ends with it's 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 based off this coup that it ha- that was almost happened in like 1936, I believe it is, where uh, some uh, Japanese soldiers w- thought about doing a coup. Yeah, and it it wasn't going to work out, so they all committed harikari. No shit, harikari. Yeah, they. Uh, well, I think, um, to what hard, end? In hardcore to history, stop the war? most recent hardcore history, I think Dan Carlin talks a little bit. about Really? That. Yeah. I, I I don't know exactly if it was to, st- to stop the war, but kind of to unite all the divisions. Hmm. Interesting. And so he basically he like you because know the, because I think the emperor was they 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 considered him kind of a softy. Mm-hmm. He he was he didn't the generals wanted to go further than the emperor did. Yes, yeah. right. But because he was the emperor, they could that he couldn't. Yeah, uh, if I remember so they correctly, wanted to kill because God he, he, because he was still kind of a if you want to call it a beneficent dictator. Like he right. would, he wouldn't outright go and say go kill this person type yes of i think i remember learning this before too that he was um on the not far right spectrum of the military right as far as like aggression yeah but you know with, with things like pearl harbor the military was just like this is a no-brainer like it's yeah. just kind of the thing people like americans forget These americans are sitting ducks out there <laughs> but, but it, and shit but it was like a lot of people are saying like you know it's like oh you know the sneaky japs and all this shit with pearl harbor and it was like militarily Entirely sensible move. Yes. Like 100%. Yes. You know, like really should have kind of been seen coming, you know, on a pure strategy level. Right. You know? And it it kind of was. Right, right. Anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. No, that's fine. And so so in this story, the the there's a a group of, of, I don't know if they're generals, but soldiers were going to commit a coup and it's found out. And it's one lieutenant's job to then go and kill them, but he's friends with some of them, so he can't do this. So it ends with him committing harikari mm-hmm. on himself, and then his wife watching him do this because she, because it, according to the book, she must witness this Ugh. because this way, then he can live in history. Mm-hmm. And then, as soon as as after he after she sees his he he has the life has left his body, she cuts her throat and falls on top of him. Ugh! Yikes! And Mishima made a movie of this. Yeah, where he played the lieutenant. And the movie ends like the book, but because it's a movie, there's music to it, and so at the ending, he's playing Wagner. Kurt Wagner. No. During this hurricane. Mm-hmm. And it's a German. Yeah. It's a German composer. Right. Yeah. Over this incredibly meaningful Japanese yeah. ritual. Yeah. 
And it's from uh, Wagner's Tristan and Isolde, which is this story where basically Tristan... Uh, it's, a, it's a story where Tristan... Uh, this whole thing, it's a but Romeo and Juliet It's a Romeo and Juliet type of thing. But older. Yes. Where, and then and then it ends. This is the song from the end where Tristan is dying and Isolde runs in and says, Oh my God, I can't believe you're dying. I, I love you. And he dies and, and then... Uh, she follows Shirley. Yeah, very similar type thing. Mm-hmm. But again, it's you just fetishize the West while hating the Western influence. Yes, H- hating his teeth but loving his teeth. Right. Ouch, right. And in 1963, he releases a book of photography of him. Someone took pictures of him. It's called "Torture by Roses," and oh. it features this picture. I'm going to show you. Of him oh. as St. Sebastian. Wow. He's cut. Yeah, yeah. He's looking... He definitely nutted on this for sure. But his photographer, one of his photographers said this thing about him, and he said uh, at this time he was, he was, having, he was showing up his body a lot more, and, his, and his, one of the photographers said he was always getting shot mostly naked but never full figure because it was tougher to have a strong lower body than upper body. Mm. So in most of his pictures, yeah. it's either cutting out the legs or it's a low angle. So can't, you can't, can't see. Can't leg day, bro. Can't, can't, can't yeah. skip leg day. So he's a man constantly proud of his figure, but also... Right. Because uh, <laughs> I think it was a biographer again. He said there's two sides to his character. There's a very, very nasty side Ooh. and... A gentlemanly side. He was part gentleman, part gangster, and he was always kind of going back in between these. He would have these dreams where he would be massacring. This is a real quote: massacring white youths on marble tables and eating parts, eating the flesh of their bodies. Jesus. Yeah. Good God. And in 1965, not nightmares. No. Dreams. Right. No. 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 Yeah. I enjoyed these. Yeah. Jesus. I, Night- had, a, I had a dream last night. <laughs> Would you like to hear it? <laughs> Let me tell you about my dream. Small naked white boys on porcelain. Gorgeous table. marble tables. Stained red with blood. Their blood. <laughs> Sliced open white boys. Youths. <laughs> so supple. Does anyone else's teeth hurt? <laughs> It'd be funny if he spoke in that accent. <laughs> <laughs> hate the tooth, not the toothache, dude. <laughs> I am the tooth fairy. <laughs> uh, and uh, you know about about the patriot. The movie was called Patriotism, the one where, he, where with the Harikir. And he says he doesn't want to bring it back. He just wants to inspire the youth. Right. And in '65, he writes another one of his, it's like a classic novel of of his. It's called The Sailor. The English title is The Sailor Who Fell from Grace with the Sea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Japanese title is, is 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 basically two or three words, but there's it's also one of those Japanese phrases that has no direct translation, right? And so, and it was kind of like a play on the Chinese phrase for tugboat, and it, mm. I I it I can't really explain it, right? right. Um, but the essence of the story is about a young boy who his 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 mother's a widow. And one day she meets a sailor who's in the navy, and the boy is amazed at how tough and masculine this man is. And he's, and it, it, and the boy used to hang out with this young group of toughs who would do things. They were led by this kid called the chief, who was like eleven, and they would like find beautiful things like a kitten, and they would dissect it. Ah, and, like, and 
and, and and people say, well, this is just evidence of you know the curiosity of you know, right? Uh, but but also, so the kid, this young boy, he 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 starts obsessing about this soul, the the sailor, and how tough and manly he is, and and the, and, and the sailor, uh, his name is uh, Ryuji, and he says something. I've never done much, but I lived my whole life thinking of myself as the only real man. And if I'm right, then a limpid, lonely horn is going to trumpet through the dawn someday, and a turgid cloud laced with light will sweep down, and the poignant voice of glory will call for me from the distance, and I'll have to jump out of bed and set out alone. That's why I've never married. I've waited and waited, and here I am past 30. There's a man just in his early 30s who is saying the only way to get glory is to go out in that ocean and heed the call. Right. And in the book, the mother... Uh, finds a job for the man at her department store. She she works for a department store, which is a very Western thing. Yeah. Right. And she finds a job for him there, and he takes the job. And this young <laughs> boy who used to... There, he found a peephole in his mother's wall, and he'd watch them fuck. And it's a, a whole other thing there. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. So him, and he, talk, he talks to his group of kids, his friends about this, and they all decide that the only way for this guy to achieve glory now is for them... To poison him and throw him in the ocean. Huh. Jesus. And Christ. so the book ends with them poisoning the the man's tea, and that's the way for him to get glory, yes. right? Because living working in a department store is no life for this guy. And here you have the back and forth between the old Japan, right, and Western, and yeah, 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 yeah. And also, he's what single and thirty, like our friend Christine Chubbuck. That's not going to do. Yeah, lonely not. piece of shit. Not easy. <laughs> I'm 30, for Christ's sake. What? My Learjet's almost fueled up. (laughs) (laughs) That's, uh... That's heavy. Yeah. I feel like I would be, um... Uh, leaving something out if if, if, uh, I, I didn't ask. Uh, what is kind of the... I, I guess uh, acceptance level of homosexuality in Japan throughout this entire time frame of his life. I mean, I I'm not really sure. It seems like there's a, oh like which in a lot of cultures that there's a, there's kind of a reserve set of the elite that's yes. allowed yeah. to be, yeah. which he right. Seems well, to especially be... like the kabuki actors. Sure. I mean, one of the actors they interview is uh, still still dressed as a woman. Still yes, still yes. goes as a woman. Uh-huh. Right. And so and it didn't seem any way like this was some taboo at all. Well, yeah. Not, not in a way like it was here. Gay shuz. Right. Very good, Aaron. <laughs> Very good. It's all hidden in plain sight. <laughs> right. So they're gay shahs of Iran. <laughs> well, whoa. I never thought about it that way. Iran so far from my sexuality? Wait. Huh? <laughs> we are dumb. Yeah. I I am dumb. Yeah. I'm sorry. I listened to profiles yesterday. I found out the Shah's gay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're not allowed there anymore. <laughs> now, uh, we get to the late 60s. Now, that, the book came out in 65. Uh, uh, so he's, he's, he's near his uh, mid to late 30s now. And 60s Japan. Everyone's wearing suits. It's yeah. Western as fuck. Well, in 68, his mentor, that guy, uh, Kawabata... He wins the Nobel Prize in Literature. For what? For, I forget what his book is. Some novel. Some no- a novel he wrote. Okay. Because he was also a famous novelist. And he was the first Japanese guy to ever win the Nobel Prize in Literature. Wow. And Mishima, when this happens, he realizes, that means I'm not going to win it for a long time. I've got to po- mm. poison this guy. 
throw them out to sea. Because his thinking, probably not incorrect, is that they're not going to give it to two Japanese guys in a row. Right. Right, but there's other years to, yeah. to live. Right. right. But, I yeah. mean, if you want to be an old, disgusting bastard. <laughs> but he, he, that is something that he despises. Right. He finds old people disgusting. Yeah. He cannot stand it. He finds old young, balls. strong... Young, strong men, beautiful, old, yeah. <laughs> well, young, strong men are beautiful. Yeah. And uh, in 1969, there's a there's this there's a riot near the University of Tokyo, I believe, right next to it, in this uh, nine story clock ta- uh, uh, clock tower. And these students hold off again. They're they're protesting post war conditions. Yes. Mm-hmm. And they hold off the police for a few days. Uh, it, it takes 8,500 officers. To clear these guys out, and no one's what? using no one's using guns or anything. At one point, there's an American reporter who runs up to the Japanese reporter and go, "Just shoot him." Yeah, he's yeah, very yeah. American. Right. Just like kill these kids. So like, there's all there's a bunch. They don't of, have any guns. Yeah, shoot them. There's a bunch of casualties, but not deaths. It's just people getting beaten. One person was blinded. That was it. But it was just like the cops would show up. They would try to get in, and if they found any kids, they'd beat the hell out of them. And right, right, move right. On to the next one. Yeah, the Americans like, why don't we nuke them? <laughs> <laughs> but Mishima sees sees how much anger and, and force these these young kids have and he decides that he is going to start his own private army with universe wow. with university kids. What? And so I forget what the first name is, but they eventually go by this name called the Shield Society. Whoa. And they have three rules. And I didn't write them down. <laughs> Everyone's fucking Do not talk about Shield Society. <laughs> <laughs> I should have made a note. I didn't write that down. So I don't know what the three rules are, but I'm sure there were things like, uh, you know, have fun out there. <laughs> Do not wear a shirt. <laughs> Be cut. <laughs> From the waist up only. <laughs> well, this is one of the interesting things about, about Japan is it's one of the few, only few places in, in recorded history or, or just history in general where... And this is a little bit further back than what you're talking, mm-hmm. where they achieved the technology of guns. They got guns, and then they got rid of them for, like, another 200 years. They right. deemed them to be clunky and non-graceful and and just kind of like— uh, Well, also, surely America was dissuading them from having any kind of militarization. In, in, right, in but any, uh, what I'm like, getting like at in is— Like German uh, society, oh, I'm too. Talking oh, about, that, I'm talking though, about right. way before that. I'm talking, like, oh, really? like in the 1600s. They had guns for like 200 years after you know gunpowder and modern and, and rifles and stuff right, like that, right. and then they just they were like you know we we're not we're not into it. Yeah. We're, we're getting back into this whole samurai shogun thing. It, well, one of the reasons why that last shogun dynasty uh, died out and was was taken over is because American ships showed up, and the the Japanese uh, they were like we don't even have the, we don't have this technology. If we need if we want to be on their level. Yeah. We have to change everything mm-hmm. we're doing here. Yeah, and so then they, uh, and then around that time, I believe the the emperor sister system. Uh, Interesting. Yeah, they were like heavy isolationists. They really like had yeah. the advantage of being isolated, so they could they could just kind of do that for a while. Right. And then they, then they got guns again. Right. So for this this army, uh, Mishima, he said it was the, it would be the least armed, most spiritual army. They didn't have weapons, but th- many people in the army. And then the government thought a right-wing militia would be actually very helpful. And so what they did is they let him train with the army. Hmm. They let him bring his, his, his little mini-army to army bases and train. His mini-unarmed army yeah. to train with the real army. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And here he is. Got all of a sudden he's like, now, I mean, has he ever felt manlier, I guess? You know, right. There's all these things. 
And, and all, I've all these youths. Yeah. Yes. They would parade around official buildings. They would they would parade before events. They had a blood oath, which is always nice. Ah. Yeah, that's great. But through this, he, he he met the man who would be prime minister, and he talked to him, and that man introduced him to the prime minister. And through the prime minister, he met with with members of the armed forces, senior members of the armed forces, and they there was a there was kind of a, a far right rich figures who were also very pro uh, right and they gave the army money to to kind of like give to Mishima interesting and so he was now he was kind of getting paid to do this right and one of his things that, to what end well, no well they one... they want to see they want to see some some kind of spine coming back they're they're still from that old school yeah. of so mor- honor and morale yes. type of thing. and and who knows how how can we use these guys right, we have right. the, we have an extremely popular author he's not as popular as he used to be once the the book of his pictures comes out people are, uh, pe- uh, center, center and 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 left authors in society it's kind of like it's getting kind of weird his legs are weak yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but the army also had this. A lot of people in the army, they they were like, "If we need nukes, we're, we 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 must have nukes." And, and Mishima was also very. He said, "If we if we're going to bring our honor back and our yeah. pride back, we have to have nukes too." Right. right. And so he fit in with many of these. You know, yeah. just because you're in the army, doesn't mean you're uh, far right. Right. But if you're far right, the army's a pretty good place to be. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 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 I think I think it it, it fits. You know. But at the same time, all the you know. 18-year-olds doing push-ups in the world is not going to replace a one megaton <laughs> warhead. But... Yeah, 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 absolutely. Right. Have you seen what those things can do? <laughs> You're going to need at least twice as many kids. Right. <laughs> doing twice as many push-ups. <laughs> <laughs> With half the clothes. <laughs> Just flexing all over the world. <laughs> now, through the 60s, he started working on this four-part book series uh, called The Sea of Fertility. And at the end of the 60s, in 1970, he finishes it. Uh-huh. And, uh, I mean, there, well, it, it's, it's four books, and so they each come out at different times. And in 1969, one comes out, it's called Runaway Horses, and, and he has a character that says, uh, How oddly situated a man is apt to find himself at an age of 38. His youth belongs to the distant past. Yet the period of memory beginning with the end of youth and extending to the present has left him not a single vivid impression. And therefore he persists in feeling that nothing more than a fragile barrier separates him from his youth. He is forever hearing with the utmost clarity the sounds of this neighboring domain, but there's no way to penetrate the barrier. So kind of like, um, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. (laughs) No, kind of like, those were my greatest days and they're behind me. Right. But also, they're they're so close. I can touch them, but I don't have any like accomplishments to speak of. Is what I'm getting at. It. Like I'm well, as an adult. Yes. Like, yes. I, I th- yes. I think I, maybe I'm misinterpreting, but uh. but of course he does have great accomplishments. That's yes, right. But yeah. but are they are they things he values? And in some ways, yes. And in some ways, no. He was very uh, as again as Briarford said, he was he was sadistic. But with that is always some sort of masochism. Right. You can yeah. you, you cannot se- you can right. you cannot separate those. They're, and you don't have uh, you don't get narcissism without self-loathing. Yes. Right? You know, he was like, I'm going to I want to be beautiful, I want to work out, but fuck, am I getting old? Fuck shit. Yeah. Very interesting. And so in 70 he finishes the final chat, the final page. He cancels all of the upcoming events in his diary. And 
on his desk, he leaves a note, and he writes, Human life is limited, but I would like to live forever. Then he calls the media to the army base he was training at that day. He takes four students with him. The students, he, he, he goes to a general, and he says, General, I'd like to, can I meet with you? And he sits down with the general, and he says, General, look at this sword. Is this not a wonderful Jesus sword? Jesus fucking Christ. And Jennifer goes, general goes, oh, wow, that is a nice sword. And then his students take out their swords, and they tie the general up, and they hold him hostage. And Mishima says, I, I need to make a speech to, every, to all the soldiers here. And if you don't call them all out, I will kill the general. So he goes out to a balcony, and all these soldiers come up, and he makes a speech to them. And one of the things he says, he says, Japanese people today think of money, just money. Where is our national spirit today? The Jiatai must be the soul of Japan. The nation has no spiritual foundation. This is why you don't agree with me. You will just be American mercenaries. There you are in your tiny world. You do nothing for Japan. I salute the emperor. Long live the emperor. And he's being heckled by this point. And he turns around and he walks back in to the room next to the balcony. He sits down on his knees. He opens up his shirt. Oh, oh. He takes out his dagger. Fucking Christ. And he stabs it into his stomach. Damn. Now, the second part of Harakira is that someone, your best friend, ideally, is supposed to then take out their sword and chop your head off. Wow. Now, the narratives that all came out immediately after is that this is exactly what happened. Years later, the narrative is that the students that was supposed to, the student that was supposed to do it got so sick he couldn't. Then the next student came up and chopped him in the head and couldn't get his head off. Wow. And then all those guys were arrested. Wow. Damn. Jesus. That's good stuff. And then the reverberations were never felt. Nothing. All the right-wing politicians who, that were asked about this say, that guy's crazy. I don't know why he'd do that. Good thing he killed himself. Wow. And there's a... there's. Another famous Japanese author named uh, Nobuko Lady Alberni. She married an Englishman named Alberni. Right. Who's some sort of rich man. And this was what she said about it. She said, his death was a political embarrassment. We were joining the industrial nations, and here comes this writer killing himself as if the clock was put back two centuries. Damn. He tried to fit in so many different compartments, and in each one, he already existed. That was scorned and intolerable to Japanese, brought up with Confucius thinking that if there is a stink, you put a lid on it. Right. And he was posing, she said, his posing was a need to show his true nature, but his true self was masquerade. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. His true self was masquerade. The medium is rumor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, plus his book, The Mask. You know, <laughs> I wish they later adapted into the, the Jim Carrey, Carrey movie. Picture. Very famous. Eric Stoltz as well. Mask. Uh, yes, also the mask. Um, I think, I think hearing about all this makes me think that there was a lot of post-war humiliation on the level of uh, maybe not uh, post-war Germany after the First World War, or um, you know, I suppose the South after the the, the mm. Civil War, but but. I think it was just that the Japanese had a far better way of dealing with it and just adapting to the times. And, 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 and also the times were becoming more international and high speed and technological and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. It was like we don't have time 
to reclaim the national pride because things are not going that right, way anyway. Right. We don't have time to turn back the clock because the clock only goes one way. Right. And it's just it's not really going to be about taking it back with fucking aircraft carriers. Right. We're not we're not going that way anymore. Right. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Um, especially since there's nukes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you think is going to happen? We're going to install a new fucking emperor. It's going to be you. And then we're going to get nukes before we get nuked. Mm-hmm. You're a psycho. Yeah. I mean, it does make a lot of sense. I mean, yeah, sometimes, you know, uh, those uh, there are misguided yet glorious attempts at sending a message. Yeah, well, it's, uh, for, for such a country that's so steeped in, uh, you know, death before dishonor. Right. It, you know, there, there was a lot of guys like, I mean, you know, the Aum Shinrikyo cult mm-hmm. was very uh, much about, you know, kind of that same kind of fascistic thinking. And they were also a spiritual army mm-hmm. and all that shit. You know, it was all, it's all complete Buddhist monkey shit until, you know, you get some guys that know how to make some bombs. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, yo, let's take the fucking place. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I mean, it, it, yeah, it's, it's very deeply steeped in their culture. And it is like, we should be the chiefs, you know? We, and if we're not, we should kill ourselves, right. which is very extreme. Mm-hmm. It is very, very, uh, um, Straight edge, right? But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. That, that is the blade used, yes. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I think at a certain point, Japanese society was like, "We're not going to get ahead, killing ourselves in battle, or killing ourselves because we didn't go into battle." Right. So let's stop killing ourselves. Right. It was probably a woman's idea, is my guess. Somebody rational, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like you know how much effort I had to put into making one of these people. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And you're just fucking th- crashing oh, them in air. Now I gotta carrier. kill myself on top of you. Yeah, Jesus. Jesus. I have to watch you die, and then Jesus Christ. come on. Yeah, I mean, uh, about giraffes have it easy. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, like his whole, it, it's it's very confusing in many ways, and, and sometimes I don't know if. He's forcing himself to believe. I mean, I understand this. The whole samurai culture is, is you know, the, you kind of just you don't think about these things in, in some ways. But he he had a life of so many contradictions. It, it, it sometimes I wonder if he just turned himself off from them just so he could continue. He's a homeschooled indoor kid. Well, yeah, well, 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 he, he was also centuries after the samurai yes. were extinct. It's it's as if I today was idolizing the cowboys, you know, and I want I wanted to live the life. Of a cowboy, and I had some weird and fetishized notion. <laughs> yes, Brokeback Mountain. <laughs> you and me camping. <laughs> Absolutely, mm-hmm. yes. Dude. Mm-hmm. Stemming you. the rose. Uh huh. <laughs> but that—that's how you have to look at. It, is that this guy was centuries removed from the, the true last samurai, and even the samurai before him were centuries removed from the original samurai right. of the Edo period. But it does—it right? does probably. There's probably a grandmother like telling him like, "You are the fucking, you're the fucking chosen one. Mm. Stay inside. Let his imagination." Oh, you're blaming run. it on women. Great. <laughs> no, no, no. But like, let his imagination run wild with him, and it's just his books and stuff like that. And uh, you're a special boy. And yeah, just be told that you're, you know, you're immaculately special. And then, um, I mean, just even being. You know, such a literary artist type. It's somebody that is just like in a very imaginary world. And then there was just a bunch of pragmatic people that were like, no, thank you. Right. You know, yeah, you tie in an authoritarian father holding you up to a speeding locomotive. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, that's great in a book. Yes. And it's not as it's a not system of government. No. Right. Cutting open a cat to to catch beauty, right. to dissect beauty is, is okay yeah. in a book. But the, I mean, even uh, Harikiri. He, he said suicide 
is always defeat itself, mostly. But Harikiri sometimes makes you win. Uh-huh. But not yeah. this time, buddy. No. Right. I mean, I, I and maybe if you're... Some 19-year-old half chopping off his head. <laughs> yeah. Shit, that other dude barfed, and I just got his head off. I'm going to barf now. Can you take over, Tim? <laughs> Everyone's barfing. <laughs> I didn't know we were going to coo today. Chop him more. Start sawing it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the thing a lot of these university kids they they grew up yeah. with his writing yeah. and this is not like the boys in the book yeah, the they, book was better <laughs> the general's like untie me i'll cut his fucking head off you pussies <laughs> and, yeah. and this idea of, of of recognizing beauty but being detached from it right you know and now all of a sudden they're like we got to Killed? Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. I signed up for the watching yeah. of things. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. That's pretty good stuff, man. That's a pretty crazy story, dude. That's yeah. pretty wild shit. It's, uh, it's our first. Uh, that's our first patron uh, suggested profile. Oh. Very, very nice, Nolan. Thank you. Nolan, thank you. Uh, can I uh, Can I read one? I think, I think you no. know, through all of this, there's many weird things, but I think, I think this is a good quote from him mm-hmm. to kind of... That is much more positive, oh, if, okay. I, if I may. Leave, on, leave him on a slightly po- more positive. This is also from Runaway Horses, which is one of the books. That, that is like, it's four books, and each book is the main character, uh, or what, basically the main character, I guess. It, there's two main characters. One of them is, they're both friends, and then one of them dies, and the other one keeps living his life. And then each book, the one that died comes back as a different person, and they're recognized mm. by their old best friend as a different, one time as a judge, one time as a woman, one time. So it's a, and each of, each time it's in a different very specific time in Japan, uh-huh. you know, pre-war, war, uh, post-war, and and, hmm. and so you'd see him kind of going through his own life in many ways. It Interesting. Seems like. But this is from I think it's the third book. It's called Runaway Horses, and he says the purest evil that humans that human <laughs> I got it. the purest evil that human efforts could attain. In other words, was probably achieved by those men who made their wills the same and who made their eyes see the world in the same way. Men who went against the pattern of life's diversity. Men whose spirits shattered the natural wall of the individual body, making nothing of this barrier, set up to guard against mutual corrosion. Men whose spirit accomplished what flesh could never accomplish. And it kind of blows my mind that... He's so conflicted. He could write something so beautiful about how good diversity can be and how bad it is when there is no diversity, and yet he himself was constantly struggling with his own diversity and the diversity Japan was going Mm -hmm. through. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't seem like the kind of person that um, would uh, kind of uh, effectively uh, get obedience because he doesn't mm. really believe in it. Unless it was by a, a samurai. Yeah, my obedience. Yeah, I want yeah, yeah. my diversity. Yes. Right, exactly. I want, the, I want the kind of diversity that I want, right? Like he, he did, like you mentioned, he, 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 um, he later kind of understood the power of people working together in groups but he still had this base as a kid of being alone all the time mm-hmm. hyper individual right yeah and kind of loathe and then this was also a time when communism was was taking root so he probably like despised that that as well but what a fucking weirdo just like a walking contradiction yeah yeah He's, yeah the masquerade and is he still i mean is he still like a very popular author figure a uh, literary figure um his he is I don't want to say he's back. Um, at the anniversary of his death, um, there is often a gathering. And for years after this, um, Japanese authorities were worried that 
it would cause an uprising of sorts. Yeah. But it kind of faded out, and I think now he's being recognized. There's an award. There's a major Japanese uh, literature award in his name. Yeah. And I so I think the I think the the kind the 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 trouble that he that I mean it didn't even cause that much trouble. It was all on himself, really. Right. And so all of that has kind of been recognized, but it, his works are the things that have remained. Yeah. And I mean, I can't and 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 accepted and and there is his his writing is is often amazing. Do you think that maybe in some ways it was like you know the first heckles come in and he immediately sees the chance to kill himself because maybe that was what he was really hoping would be the outcome anyway. Yes, uh, there is a rumor that when he went back in after the balcony, he said, "I don't even think they heard me." And whether, I mean, I interpret that as I just the think, message never I, got through. I think maybe he was just like, "I just want a, like a, a glorious death." Well, that was abso- absolutely. I mean, the the movie patriotism—that's him practicing it. Yeah. Every yeah. everybody who had an intimate relationship with him and, and saw him working on his body, saying he often talked about how the destruction of beauty and he wanted to make yeah. himself beautiful yeah. so he corpse. could destroy it. Wow. Jesus Christ. I'm not going to kill myself with these extra love handles hanging and, out. And, you these know, Yokohamas. You know what I'm right. saying? And there was another another author who talked to him and he basically said to the author, he said, I don't think I have anything else to write. Wow. And so suddenly of all of, of his motivations are suddenly... And so he kind of twists whatever that is into, uh, well, here's the way for me to go out without feeling the failings of getting old and not writing anymore. Yeah. And in some way live forever. Yeah. I'm going to die surrounded by young, firm, college boys barfing. (laughs) 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 Don't even know how to fucking decapitate a writer. (laughs) Can't even decapitate a 5-1, man? Jesus Christ. Here I am. Aim low. Here I am, literary giant, <laughs> head hanging half off because this fucking bespeckled freshman. What good are all these push-ups if you, even, you can't track my, my tiny head off? Take your shirt off while I hang here. <laughs> Man, that was great stuff. That Thank was you. great. That, that was, was great shit. Very deep. Uh... I think we're going to uh, take a little break and then come back to a Patreon episode. I think we are going to do a Patreon episode. And uh, I'm going to w- talk about Brazilian uh, briefly about Brazilian music. Very and nice. I know we have a few uh, listeners in Brazil. If yeah. you're not on the Patreon, please join the Patreon just so you can answer my questions about Brazilian music. Yes, thank you, thank you. Uh, we love you, everybody. My name is John Fahey. I'm Aaron Pita. I Matt- love you as well. Good night, guys. Wait, wait, Matt Brissot. Oh, I thought, no, 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 no. I, I almost, I stepped on air. No, no, you're well. No, you were all great here. Thanks for listening. Everything's great. <laughs>